Clear. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house that's right we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got sky riders now. now does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're in sight clear left turkey national ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta Yeah, but after the third one, you start to get sloppy. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not really conducive to use of power tools. That's why I only bring two to the desk when we do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the morning, and two at lunch, and two in the afternoon, <laughs> and two more for dinner. Hey, Jeb, when I saw this item that you put on the list, um, I thought, oh, this is, that, this is that hoax video that's been going around the Internet for a while about, a, <laughs> about a, a, an acroplane that loses its wing, all right, and then, and then recovers and manages to do sort of a, of a uh, uh, what's the term for when they fly sideways, a, uh, uh, I mean, on their side. Knife edge. Yeah, knife right. edge flight thing to actually come in and land the airplane successfully, all right? And it's a very, very good fake, all right? But just about everybody believes that it was fake. Right. So I'm thinking, oh, Jeb has been, 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 been bamboozled, right, yeah. I know, by this. And he's, he's shown us this video. So I'm looking at it, now, all right? Now, Jack, Jack, before you go any further, yeah. as long as you've known me, yeah. how many times have I been bamboozled by something on the Internet? Well, okay, this is true. This is true. <laughs> And, and, ahead, you're right. and you're right. I saw him. I saw him bammed once, but not boozled. Never boozled. Yeah, no. yeah. I, I was boozled, but you know that was you know between she and I, and and, and that, we've never talked about that on the podcast. Before. That's the title. No, we way. wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. Two minutes That's in, we got the title. Never boozled. Um, <laughs> never boozled. <laughs> never boozled. Uh, so listen. Um, Turns out you weren't boozled in this case because uh, this is apparently a real video of uh, quite a dramatic little uh, moment here where this, uh, this uh, um, I want to call it a stunt pilot because I've been reading another stunt No, 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 don't, don't even go there. Yeah, right. Don't an aerobatic pilot. An aerobatic was... pilot who, is, uh, uh, who lost a wing during a maneuver uh, in front of a crowd and, uh, and fortunately, I mean, wow, fortunately, uh, had a uh, BRS chute built into the airplane and popped the chute and uh, floated to the ground. Now, we we BRS gets how, another credit. Yeah, we don't know if it was BRS. What he was hey, on that? Yeah, I'm stand by one moment. Jeb, why don't you tell us the story and kind of well, tell us what we do? Now. I, I, right off the top, uh, we don't know that it was a BRS chute. It was a ballistic chute. Yeah, I know. Generally. I, I, I use that the way some people use Kleenex. Specifically, right? Yeah, uh, specifically a BRS product. All of that having been said. Um, Oh, I don't know when this was. It was obviously very recent. Um, in Argentina, mm-hmm. a uh, well-experienced, if not professional, uh, aerobatic pilot was doing a routine uh, with a van. I don't know if this is a six or a seven or what it is. Um, and um, was um, at the bottom of an inverted loop. Um, he had dived down and had been, was inverted and started to begin a pull-up. Uh, and his, um, I guess, left wing decided it was tired and wanted to go home. Yep. Broke off right at the root, right? Departed the airplane right at the root, um, and uh, the airplane, as it will do, started to roll uncontrollably, 
and uh, shortly thereafter, the ballistic chute is deployed. Um, the very, very shortly, too. Yeah, very, very shortly. It only turned maybe another half a turn, and it ended up right side up. I was impressed, given, given the deployment envelope here. But uh, um, was moving rather rapidly downward and uh, amazingly um, hit the ground nose first, but very slowly. Yeah. Given, given uh, the velocity at which this chute deployed and, and the manner in which it was forced to deploy. And uh, he floats on down uh, to the ground, hits, hits nose first, and then fire breaks out. And the uh, punchline is the pilot walked away. Yeah. Now, this was, I don't know, I saw this, today's Thursday, I saw this, I guess, Tuesday or something. I think it was one of the lead stories on AvWeb today. Yeah. Um, and there's another, if we can find it. Uh, yeah, here it is. There's another uh, uh, video of it. Well, actually, there's two. There's one on YouTube, and then there's one on this Argentine uh, uh, news site. Um, and, uh, I don't know the, the one on YouTube has some slow-mo built into it, but uh, I think the one on the Argentine side is better. Yeah. Now the quote um, in that I read in AvWeb, um, quotes the pilot, uh, a, a, a pretty interesting quote uh, with what he saw at the time and what through went through his mind. Yeah. Um, and apparently, um, the way he tells it, uh, uh, his buddy on the ground by way of radio said, Pop the shoot, pop the shoot, or whatever words he used, um, and that's what he did. Just as a everybody result. was thinking very quickly because that happened the whole uh, from the time the wing broke off till the time the shoot was deployed was well, I won't say fully deployed, but certainly deploying was less than five seconds. Yeah, really. I because mean, this is what's going through my mind. I'm watching this video and I'm still thinking that this is the fake video, and uh, but I'm watching and thinking this. I don't remember the fake video having uh, smoke coming out of the aircraft. And so I'm thinking, <laughs> when does the smoke go away for it to become fake? Hmm, this is interesting. And then the wing breaks off and the smoke is still going. And I'm going, oh, wait a minute, this is different. And then very, very quickly, as you said, the chute pops. And my first thought was that I'm thinking, wow, this guy decided and managed to jump out of the airplane really fast. Right? I, I had that. Well, <laughs> oh, jump out of the airplane. Well, I had the thought when looking at this, knowing it was an airframe chute, that... Uh, Wow, you know he didn't waste any time. Yeah, and and uh, of course I don't know about the G forces, but I'm sure it was it was not an easy task to pull that. It would have been a lot more difficult in about three more seconds. Yeah, yeah. That's the real kicker here, uh -huh. because he was from watching the slow mo and the and the and the standard 24 frame per second video. Uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb here a little bit and say he was one rotation away from that not being yeah. survivable. Yeah. Because the rotation would have been so fast it would have wrapped the lines up on the parachute. Yeah. As yeah. the rocket came out. Yeah. You know, and actually one of my other thoughts was that somehow the uh chute's deployment was triggered by the loss of the wing. No. I wondered about that a little bit too. Maybe there was a G switch somewhere in there. Yeah. Amy, you yeah. don't think so. No, I don't think. I don't so. think so either. But I, I'm just wondering. It, it, it was quick. It was quick enough to make me wonder. These are really simple systems. You have got to have pulled the pin before takeoff, the safety pin, and you've got to be ready to pull it. And those are two key elements. If you don't pull the safety pin out of there, it ain't going to shoot off either. And you're not going to remember to remove the pit pin yeah. In, yeah. in the adrenaline of the moment. Uh, a friend of mine uh, 
many years ago flying. Uh, uh, he was the engineer on a motor glider project, and they were in the R and D phase of it. It was going to kit. Uh, it was just going to squeeze in under Part One Hundred Three. Uh, but even if it didn't, it was a motor glider. So you build it, you fly it without a medical. It had, it had a promising future. And the D cell was constructed out of a spar and, and, and this uh, aluminum sheeting, and it was all bond and, and ribs, and it was all bonded together very nicely, except the bonding didn't work very well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the engineer caught the delamination starting on one wing and went through and put a, a, a series of blind rivets to take care of that, went out to fly that day's test routine, which was fairly benign, but just to keep things moving along. And then that evening he was going to blind rivet the other T-cell so that it couldn't start to delaminate. And it that wing let go in a turn. Mm-hmm and let go at the root, mm-hmm. and the airplane went into such a rapid rotation that the, uh, the parachute system was, it was mounted to fire sideways out of the engine pod. And the rotation was already so fast that it caught the rocket's line and the canopy before it got line stretch in, in the rocket. The way it works is that the rocket pulls out the parachute it, the the canopy and then the lines and then it removes a shroud off the canopy uh-huh. and it does that in one long burn and it's going faster it's got more and more energy through the burn that's why it works as well as it does uh-huh. this thing was rotating so fast that the rocket never got the parachute out of the out of the bag I see mm. yeah and that that was the giveaway with the with the uh, fake video. Yeah. Was it if you lose a wing like that with something with that kind of span and energy, you are a corkscrew, right? Bordering on a lawn dart. Yeah, yeah. Amy, have you ever given training to someone who is going to be flying uh, an airplane equipped with one of these chutes? Yes, I have trained in a Cirrus before. If that's the question you're asking, I, I guess. And my question, I guess, is what what kind of training do, is given to help people into the thought process of deciding to pull the pull the lever or the the you know thing well there's the checklist first yeah okay and that's why the first thing that came to my head is if you don't remove the safety pin and if you don't replace the safety pin and the replacement is very important too that's part of the shutdown checklist uh-huh. on a cirrus is putting the safety pin back into the ballistic chute Right. Before you go on, let me preface this this uh, uh, question, or, or well, the question's already up. You get the point. Um, so I was talking to another CFI friend who mm-hmm. um, was one of these uh, uh, Cirrus Big Brother CFI things. You know the one, the program I'm talking about, Mentor. right? Yeah, the Mentor Cirrus things. Certified Instructors. Right. And so the CFI friend had an opportunity to go to the Cirrus training program and fly one of the Cirrus um, simulators. Mm-hmm. And one particular exercise that they put him through involved uh, a, a progressively worse and worse failure in flight. Mm-hmm. And, and my CFI friend tells the story about how he was going through this whole exercise. He, as we would, you know, as you might think, right, is, is continually trying to recover the airplane, trying to fix the problem, okay? Right. And the, pro- and the, the situation just gets worse and worse, and he keeps struggling, 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 all right? 
And I don't exactly remember how the whole thing came out. The point of the story is that the point of this exercise was to bring him to the place where he decided he had to pop the chute. All right. And he <laughs> thought it was interesting because even as a highly, you know, a, a high hour, high time CFI, all right, he had a hard time getting to that point. All right. He wanted to fix the airplane. He wanted to keep flying the airplane. And so I'm wondering, as an instructor, Amy, you know, what, what, how do you teach people that decision? Well, first of all, that's a guy thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, could be, could be. <laughs> I, I, one of the one of the first things you do is you teach the person that that's there. You teach the person that anytime they think they're going to lose the airplane. Okay, the potential to lose the airplane and lose my life is there. Mm-hmm. It's time to pop the chute. Okay, okay. And what, yeah, people what are going to argue is- with me about this, but the reality of the situation is that that's the conservative decision. Right. Okay. Cirrus has proven that it doesn't necessarily ruin the airframe, and it doesn't matter anyway. You're selling the damned airframe to the insurer right. at that point. Right. Right. Okay. Having already done that once in my life, I can tell you, it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Especially if you walk away. Yeah. David, you were going to say something? Well, the, it, the, it, the whole point of I, I voluntarily added a parachute to my hang gliding harness in 1978. There you go. They were brand new. That they were the first, second chance to ever come along in, in, in aircraft. And it was designed to bring down the, the glider and me all together, and, and we all walk away. Uh, flying a lot of the early ultralights and, and, and light experimentals. You know, uh, Amy's discussion about the, the, the pre-flight and the shutdown, removing and reinstalling the pit pin that protects the, the deployment handle. You know, that's all, that, that, that's all good memory to me because I always felt good pulling that pin out. Mm-hmm. But the question always came up, and this is what Cirrus tries to take care of in its training for its flight instructor, is you get to that break point, do I do this or do I do the macho thing and fly it down, which was the same problem that aviation had when parachutes for jumping out of airplanes first came around. It was looked on as a sign of weakness. If you didn't fly the airplane down and do your best to try to save it, even if it killed your silly butt. Mm-hmm. Uh, what Cirrus has done is designed a Kobayashi Maru scenario in their flight training or their training for their instructors. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Okay. That's a good, yeah. I like it. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's a no, they, they paint you into a no win situation. That's the whole point. Right. To get you into that situation where the only way to possibly win is to cheat. And cheating in this case is pulling a red handle. And cheating and that, is good. And cheating, cheating. is good. This, this will is not good. get you into trouble. Let me tell you, I was flying an SR-20 back from New Orleans, okay? And we were pretty much running a straight track to Sarasota, which is cutting across a nice chunk of water, right? And I had this discussion with the owner who was not uh, qualified to fly the airplane. And I pretty much told him, given the fact that we had landing gear, and given the way that we'd probably have to ditch if we were going to ditch, that I would just as soon pull the chute to ditch this airplane. Uh-huh. And I don't think I was wrong. 
I don't think you were either. I don't think actually, you were either, kiddo. Actually, it, I was just, this before or after Key West? No, this was um, before Key West, actually. Yeah. But the Very but good. the point of the matter was that you know you're having a first of all it's a long trip home and it was an SR20 but you're having this discussion with the owner and you're trying to explain you know how things work mm-hmm. and what <laughs> makes sense when does it make sense to use that resource and i see it as a resource yeah there you go it's 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 another option it's another tool yeah. Yeah. it's another no, option I, until this moment i never really thought about um how how uh a Cirrus might be preferential for overwater single-engine flying. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, particularly for a fixed-gear airplane. Yeah, oh, for exactly. a fixed-gear, yeah. big time, yeah. because you know which way you're going to land in the water. That's right. That's right. When you put fixed-gear down, and when we get down on the list, if we get to it, did you guys by any chance, Amy, on this, on this uh, and I've cut the corner off the top of the Gulf of Mexico a couple of times where I knew I was within gliding distance of marsh. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You know, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drown if I can put it down. I'll stand up on the wing and hopefully the alligators won't climb yeah, up. Yes, so I was gonna say you will get eaten <laughs> by alligators, but yeah, okay, go ahead. But but I did this knowing that I didn't have any water equipment in the airplane. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you do that? I'm sorry. Even even before my ditching experience, I didn't fly, and it's 180 degrees from here to Key West. I didn't fly to Key West without a life jacket. Well, now, Key West, I wouldn't do either. But cutting across the top, and I'm only talking about gliding distance back to to wetlands. Yeah, you know, yeah, a, yeah. I hear all that. As opposed to I'm putting it in the water where it's going to sink and never be found. No. Uh, or, well, in the Gulf of Mexico, it's going to be found. But, you know, someplace where it's going to be sitting on the bottom, there's going to be airplane above the water line, and I'm going to climb up and go, fudge. That you're right side up. You were, well, and I'm gonna be. Yeah, okay. I'm, yeah. I'm. I'm gonna be. I've put hang gliders in trees twice in an ultralight. Yeah, in a road tree lined once, where the last twenty feet was uncomfortable, <laughs> but we got it. We got it down without hitting anything. Mm-hmm. Uh. Because the engine wasn't making power anymore. Yeah. Long story. Yeah. But, you know, there's ways to drop fixed gear things into holes that aren't going right. to make you feel good, but they're not going to flip you upside down. Right. Yeah. The, the, the question is, do I have enough daylight to do that in? And I never did that corner of the Gulf thing at night. Yeah, n- yeah, nighttime over the Gulf is a very lonely place. But uh, it it really uh-oh. is, and I agree with you. If we get further down, we can talk about loneliness. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we got those two ditchings down there. Yeah, we'll come where to those. People we're- were deliberately flying out, and I'm kind of going whiskey tangle foxtrot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that doesn't mean willing to float. <laughs> That's like ETOPS. It doesn't Maybe it really, does. It doesn't really stand for extended twin engine overwater operations. It stands for engines turn or passenger swim. 
<laughs> Before I go on here, I have to say that I'm very, very impressed by the Star Trek references. I, yes, you know, I, I might have too. expected Jeb to, to, to get that one, all right? Yeah. Um, and even Amy, but David is the last person I would have expected to have that sort of a sophisticated Star Trek reference. So He's been practicing. Apparently, I'm not yeah. sure whether I've been complimented or insulted. <laughs> <laughs> quick, quick answer is yes. Yeah. Hey, welcome, folks, to episode 204 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Recording this episode on, uh, I think it's Thursday evening, August 19, 2010. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar is a bunch of my good friends. Uh, first of all, uh, Star Trek aficionado Dave Higdon is here, talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How are you doing this evening? Well, I've had no Kobayashi Maru scenarios today, so that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Did you see the latest? The, the, the most recent Star Trek movie was interesting because they actually uh, uh, showed us that incident that we had all heard about for years in our Star Trek fandom. And it we, turns we, out that we Kirk were in got... the audience. We were in the audience opening weekend. Oh, man. I mean... Okay, all right. I'm clearly going to have to reassess my. Uh, oh, yes, yeah, yes. This is all revelatory. Kirk got and, in big trouble for that, apparently, you know? Yeah. And, and we, we DVR'd it a couple of weeks ago and watched it again uh, uh, last weekend with. You know, popcorn and beers. Oh, and, no, this is too much. I can't take it. it. I can't That's, take it. At the yeah. center. Also here in the virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside, <laughs> talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing tonight? Well, well I'm equally stunned. <laughs> I know. I'm very impressed. Uh, pretty hot down there, huh? It's it's warm enough now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how hot we are down here compared to the rest of the country, but um, it's it's the sun. You get out in the sun and, and you're doing anything at all other than heading from one air-conditioned location to the other air-conditioned location, and you're sopping wet. Hey, it's hot enough to cook those eggs so you don't have to worry about salmonella. You know, oh, yeah, I know. exactly right. <laughs> you get another title for the episode. We'll call it Half a Billion Eggs. Um, <laughs> and also here in the hangar this week is Amy Laboda talking to us from uh, – I, I are you actually in the city limits of Fort Myers? No, I'm in so. the city limits of North Fort Myers, which is probably not incorporated. Okay, so also somewhere near Fort Myers, Florida. Hi, Amy. How are you doing this week? I'm doing about the same as Jeb's described. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, but I will say it is Happy National Aviation Day to everyone out there. I know, mm -hmm. pretty cool, yeah. Ooh, pretty cool, and why? Yeah, right. And, we... and happy birthday, Mr. Wright. Yeah, yes, uh, indeed. What was I going to say? Uh, oh, I'll come back to you, Amy. Uh, and I'm Jack Hodgson, and uh, I'm talking to UCAP Summer Headquarters, high atop Lookout Point. Uh, in uh, in, in it's all it's turned back to summer again up here as well, Nottingham, New Hampshire. Uh, what 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 was it? Something else for a while? Uh, it got a little chilly last week. I thought that the you know that's what happened. Define define chilly. Uh, seasonally up here in New England, somewhere in the middle of of August. The temperature will drop from daily in the high 80s, 90s to suddenly it'll be in the 70s. Um, oh my gosh, that it, sounds lovely. It's a very, very dramatic change, and it's kind of, and it always happens before Labor, even though we up here consider Labor Day to be the end of summer, this always happens before Labor Day. And I thought that it had happened last week because we did suddenly get a temperature change, but now it's gone back up. It's been in the 80s and 90s uh, the last couple of days, and the humidity has returned. So, um, but uh, probably not as hot as it is down there. And, no, I don't feel so bad then. Yeah. So but we, 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 we got past the hump for a few days on Friday. Friday when it hit 109. Ouch. Here. Wow. Uh, I know I've and, been hearing and, stories about, about uh, uh, Texas, so I guess maybe that's the same kind of thing, right? And it, well, and, it, and then it all gave way to rain uh, for about 
12 hours. Uh -huh. First big storms and lights and sound and action, and then a couple hours of nice, soft, steady. And now my yard doesn't crunch when I walk on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Amy, how are you doing? We haven't talked to you since Oshkosh. Uh, uh, how was your trip home from Oshkosh? Anything eventful happen? No, fortunately, because I was flying commercially, and we really hate it when things get eventful commercially. Well, so, as we learned from Dave, sometimes even the even the airlines can can be eventful. But uh, uh, yeah, well, look, the biggest tragedy for me was I shifted seats on a Southwest flight and left my book in the in the seat back and wasn't quick enough to go back, realizing that I'd left it and the flight attendants had removed it. Oh. Never oh. saw it again. I was about halfway through it. It was really oh. annoying, but you know, what gotta love is, them for their efficiency. What else is going on in your world? You you alluded to something that the husband is up to. Yes, the husband has taken on a project of repairing a plane. What kind? Uh, it's a Sonics. Mm. That he's in the process of uh, repairing it. Uh huh. And helping sure. to prepare it. Um, so that it will be good as new. Uh huh. Now, is this going to be a big project, or uh, how how badly was it hurt? No, actually, the 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 reason that he took it on in the end is because it turned out not to be such a big project. Mm -hmm. And um, in fact, there's fairly minimal damage. And he was looking for a project, and he was combing the pages of Trade a Plane and and uh, the various and sundry classifieds out there. And you know how that goes. Yeah. Uh -oh. Every day we start to talk uh, about this one and that one and uh -huh. the relative merits of having X amount of dollars tied up for how long. And, you know, I look, I talked him out of his Corvette engine RV10. Good girl. There's some RV10 projects out there for sale right now in the uh, 80s and 90s. Excuse me. Excuse me. Just a moment, Amy. Um, yeah. Don't you all already have an RV10? Yeah, my point exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about we're talking about dipping into the IRA to purchase uh, yet another airplane. Get something that, with floats. That would be a resale project and I keep going, yeah, but the IRA money <laughs> is not tied up in the back of my hanger. <laughs> well, the IRA money uh, isn't appreciating uh, much right now. No, Maybe you can make a few it bucks is. by flipping an airplane. You know, who knows? Yeah, but the but question get a, get a float is, plane. Get a float plane. Make a okay. Here's the here's the deal, guy. Make a few bucks by flipping an airplane, but you leave out that labor component. Oh yeah. Well, I mean that's the that's the, the that, that's the investment you're making, and you hope to get a return on that investment. It's not yeah, like except, you know, just buying low and selling high. But these well, the, projects require an investment of real dollars as well, Jeb. I, I, I get that. I've been on both sides of that. And uh, I don't. I, years ago, Lee and I had a Mooney project up in uh, D.C. Uh, bought Lee, it for thousand. Lee is the <clears throat> excuse me, Lee, the man in black, the satanic mechanic. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. It's a little thing we do, Amy. Sorry it's about that. It's a little thing we do. Fine. <laughs> uh, we bought this derelict Mooney at, at uh, like a sheriff's auction for, for back tie-down fees or something like that. And, you know, hey, we'll have this thing. This is like November. Hey, we'll have this thing running by, by Sun and Fun. Uh -huh. And someone said, of course, you know, which son of yeah, Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we started doing the math on it, 
and I needed an engine and needed instruments and needed, you know, a little bit of everything. And by the time oh. we started doing the math on it, we were going to um, come close. We, we might have made, you know, five grand on it or something, but we still have a lot of hard work. And um, we, we would run the risk of breaking even or worse. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And we said, screw this. It's, it's you know, it, it's better dead than alive. And uh, uh, what's the other saying? Some must die so that others may live. Yeah. And we, we parted it out. Yeah. And, and made real money for not a whole lot of effort. Well, yeah. And if, the, if that kind of a project came along, that would make sense. But a lot of these are three quarters to 80% done. And so you're still looking at investing a significant sum of time and money on top of it. And, and you're looking at a return of just like you said, five or $10,000. The it doesn't make sense. The projects yeah, are how much done? You figure? Well, you're talking about about anywhere from seventy five to to eighty five, ninety percent done. But it's so ninety percent of the work still has to be done. No, 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 no just the opposite. Ten percent of the work still has to be done. But you're still talking about a significant chunk <laughs> of change, usually either with an engine yeah, or avionics. That's not you been know? my observation. And yeah, right. well, it's the whole the big, eight, biggest ninety percent, or the biggest is the last ten percent. Right, exactly. last yeah. ten takes ninety. Yeah, I, I agree. That's what I, that's well, what we, I was going to point. Agree it's about the last ten percent that. that'll kill you. Well, we all agree about that. I wouldn't argue any of that. Um, one project was in Oregon. I looked at him straight in the eye and said, "So, how much is that going to cost to get?" <laughs> yeah. well, that was thousand dollars to bring it back. You're yeah. no fun. Before you, before, I, you. I am. I am difficult when it comes to these things. I am perfectly content with with something that was not far away, that um, has has the the way it's been negotiated a guarantee return of something for the labor. Oh, you're uh, taking all the fun out of it, Delaney. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know what? It's you know also what? a number that's doable and. And and there's gonna be some return on the dollar at the hey, at the end of it. That to me, there, that's there, a good there, deal all the way around. There there are some out there like that. Yeah, yeah. There really I mean, are. These people. But I think in today's market, your best setup is to make sure that you're working on an airplane that's not when you're done with it and you go to sell it, isn't going to cost any more than a nice car mm-hmm. for people to buy. Mm-hmm. Because I think people are not ready to loosen their pockets much more than that. No, no there's 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 a anything under fifty grand will sell pretty well. Yeah, uh, these days. Any, yeah. anything above that is is going to be tough. Um, but uh, you know, in the you know the the twenty to to thirty five area, I think is really the sweet spot right now. I think you're absolutely right about that, and that was pretty much. Um, where we settled in it was mm-hmm. on a project that that you could turn around like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got a friend that rehabbed a 180 Cessna. Uh, did a marvelous job, uh, and has had uh, very little interest. Uh, he's trying to sell it now. It's not costing him anything right now, right? Because he owns a place where it parks. Ah, uh, I gotcha. And uh, the work is done. And what he's asking for it would get him out of the out of the airplane hole, uh, but that's largely a factor of how you acquired the airplane. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh sure. But the the airplane's panel is somewhere in the Netherlands between 
the year the airplane was built, and I think it's 1950s vintage mm-hmm. and 1980s vintage avionics. Oh, good. Right. and The worst I, of both worlds. <laughs> I keep trying to convince the guy that he's got contacts to find, you know, find an, a, a, a prior, an old TSO IFR GPS. Oh, yeah. Put it in. You know, he can get that hooked up and the switch is right and signed off in a reconditioned something or other GPS com or NAVCOM with ILS. The, the Garmin. In, yeah. You know, bring the gyros into, say, the 1990s. <laughs> uh, we're not talking a lot of money here. No. no, no, you're not. But what it's got in there is a coffee grinder NDB and mm-hmm. a 360 channel NAVCOM and localizer only. Yeah. Uh, to donate this stuff to a museum and, and, and use the tax money to get something else. Yeah, I'm saying that Loran is worth a lot of money, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, don't get me started. <laughs> I saw another one. I saw another one uh, a couple On of days eBay? ago. Uh, no, it was an airplane that was bragging about the quality of the Loran and the panel that they were trying to sell. And it's like, oh my fracking God, where are you? Oh, look, it's a U.S. area code. Do you actually own the airplane? Do you actually know anything about it? Have you ever flown in the airspace? When was the last time you turned that sucker on and tried to get a fix? <laughs> Amazing. All right. All right. That's um, <laughs> like... <laughs> we may not get to these. We may not get lower down on the list. Who knows? We're having too much fun here. Neville, you have control of the board. Select a category. Disclaimers for 100. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are appearing as this. Neville, what is private individuals? Correct. Select again. Disclaimers for 200. Their comments do not necessarily reflect these. Neville, what is the opinions of the organizations they work for? Yes. Select again. Disclaimers for 300. Anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously this. Neville. What is very general? That's it. Disclaimers for 400. You should always remember your training, consider your situation, and fly this. Neville. What is the aircraft? Yes. Select. Disclaimers for 500. But you knew this. Robert, what's a lineys? No, Wendy. What is the punchline? No, Neville. What is that? Correct, but you knew that. Congratulations, Neville. You have swept the category. The mute button on the microphone was never more important than now. Just ask Dave Higdon. It's uncontrolled airspace. We, we never, I don't know, did we ever really talk very much about the premier jet crash that happened in front of the crowd at... No, at I don't Airbnb. think we did. Um, so uh, this is the uh, biz jet that was, uh, you know, it's funny that the way this happened, because the day or two before, when we were doing one of our episodes, and as a matter of fact, we even, I even named the episode, um, what did I name it, the, the, the swooping turn to final, all right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had been talking that's about the turn, that's a turn to one eight right. Yeah, and that's the maneuver. That's the turn that this premier jet apparently was making. I mean, again, because we don't exactly know all the circumstances, but so I don't want to be too definitive about this. But that's well, the swooping it, part you could debate. 
But that was the, that was what was happening. He right. was making that turn to final. So he was making that left uh, turn to final, uh, and uh, somehow got jammed up and uh, landed really hard, uh, and uh, so forth and so on. Um, do we have? I guess there's been a factual at this point. Is that right, Jeb? Well, uh, I am just now going to go find that. Okay, because so Dave, while you're looking, Dave, you, you uncovered some interesting new pictures and a new sequence yeah. of pictures on this, which yeah, is the uh, pictures are fascinating. Yeah, Dave, David, yeah, could you they, quickly des- really? describe this sequence of pictures for us, David? Well, they actually show the airplane, uh, and I'm going to ballpark it here. I'm going to say about two hundred, two hundred and fifty feet above the arrival end to uh, 1-8 right at Oshkosh. Mm-hmm. And the shot is from far enough south on the runway that it's got the aeroshell T-6s in the, in the right side and, and Dougie, the uh, DC-3, in the left side, which means that that's shot from south of the intersection, south of the radio station from where we do the podcast. Right. And we're looking northeast. Yeah. This airplane is high. It's in a turn. Uh, it, it, I'm not going to judge the angle of attack, but then the next shot shows it in an even steeper. This it's in a left turn, like you said. Then the next shot shows it in an even steeper right turn or right bank, anyways. Whether right it's- bank. And uh, I've seen some shots from elsewhere that you put them together, and it makes it look like Mr. Roush. Somewhat overshot the center line. <clears throat> well, in that left turn, and it was the, trying to go back. Yeah, here's the here's the NTSB prelim on this. I'll just read one paragraph here. A review of amateur video uh, taken at, at Oshkosh showed the accident airplane in a left base turn to final for runway one eight right. The airplane appeared to overshoot the runway center line during this turn, and then level its wings momentarily before entering a slight right bank simultaneously as the nose of the airplane pitched up. The airplane then turned left toward the runway center line and began a descent. During this descent, the airplane's pitch appeared to increase until the airplane entered a right bank and struck the grass area west of the runway in a nose down, right wing low attitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he, yes, he overshot. Yeah. So, so he's in the. David, <clears throat> is that the area that that people refer to as the ditch? Or uh, yes, it is. Uh, yeah. This is a yes, a, is. a depressed former taxiway, or how, what is it down there? Well, no. There's a there's the runway. Then there's a taxiway out there. Then there's this ditch. And, it, and, and a, then there's another taxiway. Okay, so it's a grassy kind of depression parallel. Yeah, it's the, a the, drainage ditch. Okay. I don't. And and then as you move north and south, it passes under turnoffs. Uh, you know they've got you know corrugated metal tubes, so water can pass through and all that. And photographers uh, who have the right credentials and, and and identification, all that stuff, are allowed to go out beyond the west taxiway, which is the first thing you see in front of the crowd line at the show, and down to just west of the bottom of the ditch to shoot during the air show. And then a little past that is another taxiway that's normally not used. It gives them two-way taxiing capability during Oshkosh. Mm-hmm. And then there's the runway, main runway, 1836. Mr. Rouse hit the ground west of the ditch. 
west of that first taxiway and just short of actually getting out onto the west taxiway that carried northbound traffic for the departure end of 1A. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the shots show Cessna 170s and 140s taxiing by. Uh, there's some compression there from the long lens that was used. Right. It's probably not as close as it looks. They're not as close as they look, but I would bet that if you were anywhere within view of that airplane's loss of control, that you would be thinking, please go past me, please go past me, yeah. please go past me, please go past me. Yeah, the commentary on uh, Avwood, Avweb would lead you to believe that there were some very thankful people that day. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, it, I, well, yeah. So um, it, it hit the, the ditch, the, the ground, the grassy ground uh, in the ditch uh, and nosed in and then sort of started to rise up out and kind of spun around, completed a 180 turn to the right. Uh, um, apparently, reports are the engines were at full, were very, very high power. I don't know. What, people have said full. I won't say that's true, but um, the engines were roaring um, at this point, uh, and uh, and the thing came to a stop, and uh, quite a dramatic moment. Um, so, so that's kind of we got these new pictures, and that's interesting, and we've got more commentary or not commentary, but uh, uh, eyewitness reports and so forth. M- one thing I think I find intriguing now is this whole question of, well, I'm going to over dramatize it a little bit. All right, uh, the the mysterious second voice on the ATC recording. All right, we listened to this ATC recording um, back the next day, and uh, and, I, and I'm going to oversimplify it a little bit. But basically, we had uh, we had the tr- controllers directing him to land to make this left turn and land on this runway, and then a voice comes on and says, "Are, are you sure that's going to work for this airplane?" It gives it by names it by tail number, and the controller says. Yes, it is. And then the voice says, I don't think so. All right. That was Roush. My first impression was, in fact, that it was Roush. The context of it seemed like it would have been Roush doing this talking. Then there was a report that it wasn't Roush, that it oh. was actually two controllers talking to each other. Was, yeah, uh, that, right. it never made any sense to me. And then, finally, now... Um, there's a story today in Avweb saying that, no, no, never mind, it wasn't two controllers. It almost certainly was Roush. Um, questioning the landing um, instruction, um, the controller saying, no, go for it, Roush saying, I don't know if this is going to work, and then this happened. Well, two things. When I first heard the recording, um, Roush was was abbreviating his call sign by simply saying JR. JR, correct. Okay. And the, quote, mysterious, unquote, voice asking, are you sure this is going to work for, for in number? said, are you sure this is going to work for JR? Right. And it, it was Roush on both occasions. I'm firmly convinced. I haven't heard it recently, but I remember it thinking at the time, that's definitely the pilot of the, of the premiere, both times. That, that's the way it struck me, too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. So it, it, I guess it just was sort of a, a red herring here that someone said, oh, no, it was a controller. And then that story went around for a couple of days, and now that's been retracted. And, and most people seem to think it was Roush. Um, Roush has finally come, uh, you know, he was in the hospital recovering and, and so forth, and um, has been quoted in a uh, in a uh, what was it a, uh, one of the uh, race car magazines. Uh, he was interviewed, and uh, he's pointing fingers at, at the controllers. Um, according no, to this, according to this article, anyways. The other, the other thing that was reported on this was that uh, he ruptured an eyeball 
in the uh, in the accident. Yeah, apparently and, he's been and blinded. Not expected to regain sight in that eye. Yeah, apparently he's been yeah, blinded. It's in one shame. Eye. That's it. Yeah. It's a That's shame. A but you know, it, as as much as you want to you want to point the finger at the controllers, if you're at Oshkosh and you're coming in. You have to make those decisions for yourself. If it doesn't look right, you you need to get out you're, of it. You're you're, you're turning over con, uh, um, control of the airplane to a controller, and he can't do anything to help you. Dave and I were just talking on telephone earlier today about a project uh, and with this very theme in mind about you know when to decide to go around and and how to go about going around and, and things like this. Um, this is clearly this, uh, one of those situations. Where well, let me let me back up. Um, it, certainly, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it would have been better for him to go around. We don't know what was going on in the cockpit right now. We we don't. Agreed. And there's there's you know some indication here that going around was what was on his mind. Yeah. Well, yeah. The fact uh, that the power was at full suggests that. Well, that's yeah, but it was way too late for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And and the other thing that. As we see more and more angles and more and more images on this. I'm struck by the lack of an aircraft that looks like it would be in conflict. Oh, yeah. You're, the the, okay, the, uh, the infamous oh. Cub, the infamous, the infamous uh, Super cub. cub or whatever it was um, that we've heard reports of. You're David, you're what? saying it doesn't appear in any of these pictures. No, it does. It actually, does. but not in conflict. Oh, okay. Well, okay. number, conflict shot number is, two and shot number three, uh, it's already so far ahead and so high that if it is, if this is in fact the same airplane, the same Cub that was uh, uh, creating some question uh, in the pilot's mind, uh, it's sure, and we know what how fast Cubs are. Mm-hmm. It sure did manage to get a, a, a good lead and a good altitude cushion on an airplane that was descending out of about, looks like 250 or 300, down to oblivion. you got to remember that, and I don't know Jack Roush, and I don't know know, his skills or anything like that, but I would guess any pilot of a beach premier um, intending to land on a runway is expecting that runway to be clear. And when he yeah. was on downwind turning base, maybe that, that cub was still on the roll or, or maybe just beginning its roll. Well, and um, and that, I think, was what he was asking about, was the, asking the controller about, was the spacing, not the turn to final. Right. No, I understand that. I agree with you. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking at where the airplane is, and I've seen no airplanes on the runway in other shots. Yeah. And, 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 and I I keep wondering what what was happening, what was transpiring here, that his mental focus seemed to be on an airplane that we can't see in conflict, uh, right. while the airplane's control was deteriorating. Uh, and a friend of mine who teaches, he makes a living instructing in airplanes in this category. Uh, and he was talking uh, the other morning, Saturday morning at breakfast, about how many new owner-operators he's been working with recently because airplane prices are so depressed that there are guys coming out of, uh, out of uh, twins, piston twins predominantly, finding themselves in a position to buy their first light jet. And uh, 
the relative infrequency with which somebody operating this kind of equipment would be making the kind of approach right. that's required to get into 1-8 right at Oshkosh during Oshkosh. I've gone in there just before everything started to kick and in the middle of everything kicking. Uh-huh. And the arrival to 1-8 when things aren't kicking yet is a dramatically easier, mm-hmm. more conventional arrival than what you've got to what you've got to be able to fly when the show's going on and the right. no-tamp. Yeah. Before we leave this, um, I'd just like to point out, I would not like to have been in the airplane. I would not like to have been in the ditch. I would not like to have been in either of the Cessna 170s that were taxiing north. No. No. <laughs> I'm glad I, I, I got missed a, the I whole thing. I wonder what was going through their mind. Um, I'm going to blow this one up to full size. Yeah, he, he can't really tell. The second one looks like by this time he's he's even got his tail off the ground. Looks like he's accelerating past. Yeah, those. he's he, trying to get he out of there. See it coming, and if you blow that one up to its full side by clicking the link, it looks to me like his tail wheel's off the ground. I can't, you can't see it because the left main's blocking it. But um, looks like that that the angle of attack on that airplane is a little bit more neutral than it normally is when taxiing. Yeah, what's well, that? And I, I remember where I was when this was happening. Yeah. And what I, I was too. doing and with whom yeah. I was shooting the breeze. Uh-huh. And we both noticed that there was a jet on approach to 1-8. Mm-hmm. And then went back to the, the burgers we were eating. But what made us both notice it was the relative rarity of something like that coming in on 1-8. Yeah, they almost always come in on 2-7 or 9. Um, nine. Yeah. And uh, we didn't give another thought to it. It's like, well, things are still a little slow because the weather's been so wet. Mm-hmm. And then we went back and got another burger and another beer. And the next thing you know, we're hearing the sirens and, wow, somebody crashed. Wow, I hope they're okay. Uh, if there's still beer if they need one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, enough of that. Um so listen, uh, we got to jump ahead here, otherwise we won't get to the uh, two ditchings here. So let me jump down lower on the list here. Uh, David, what's your take on, you posted both of these ditching stories on the list. Put them together for us. What's going on here? Well, what, what caught my attention was a story out of the Coast Guard. Yeah. How they had uh, been involved in two uh, rescues of people that had put two airplanes in the water in, I think, a little under 24 hours. Yes, sadly. Yeah. So what? Yeah. It, quickly, what are the circumstances of these two ditchings? Well, it, isn't it interesting? They were both one seventy twos, which is a high odds thing because that's the most plentiful right. airplane in the in the world. Yep. Period. Uh, that and seven thirty seven. But neither one of them. What jumped out at me was neither one of the the the, the airplane's occupants seemed to have any equipment reflecting any preparation for the fact that they were flying over water to an island. <laughs> yeah, well, I agree with you all on that. But the first guy was doing touch-and-goes in Key West. Yeah. All right? So you almost cut him a little slack. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he did get picked up within four or five minutes. He did. He did. He was not touch in the water long by a good Samaritan, right? Yeah. You're doing touch-and-goes on an island. What happens if you come up short? Um, so... Time out here. Here's my question. So you're cutting this guy slack because he was only doing touch and goes at Key West. What I want to know is why isn't 
why is there ever an airplane at Key West without a, without a raft? Where are uh, you going to fly from Key West? Thank you. Without uh, look, a raft? Well, I wouldn't. Look, no. I wouldn't argue against. I, I wouldn't argue against. I'm just going to tell you the regulations don't require it. Okay. That's right. For, That's furthermore, there, there there's a lot of land all up. You know, the Keys are by definition land, uh, and you can fly. Uh, with the exception of the, you know, the, the um, Key West Naval Air Station and the uh, big balloon uh, tether that's up <laughs> to Keys a few miles uh, that someone has flown into in, in, in recent memory. Yeah. But um, um, there's a lot of land out there, and I wouldn't hesitate to, to fly up and down the Keys in a Skyhawk without a life raft. Uh, if I was going to do it regularly, I might think uh, a second, second or third time about it, and I'd certainly want, you know, Absolutely. I'd certainly want a life vest, you know. Uh, with a me. life vest is so easy, though. I, know. I mean, it I'll really, cut him a break for out the yeah. life for not yeah. having life raft, but yeah. the vest, the vest is not a no having brainer. the vest. Just well, there's no excuse. Our first, for that. our first trip to Key West, we were advised by people that didn't know why we were going to Key West specifically that the easy way to go to Key West without water worries was to go southeast to Marathon, jump like a one-mile-wide channel of water, and then follow the Keys Highway out. Yeah, yeah. That well, way, all the way out, we know, had some it, place possible to land on. Well, And the next day after Key West, after arriving there and spending one night, we were going to fly to the Cayman Islands. Mm-hmm. So my whole brain is wrapped around this idea Let's break this over water, Cherry. And, and we didn't have our raft yet until Sarasota. We left Sarasota. We had a raft. Uh, but if I'm going to be on an island doing touch and goes, I mean, a PFD, a, a May West. Yeah, something. A flotation ring, water wings from the kitty bar at Kmart. Uh, something that helps me stay afloat. Particularly, you know, if you come up short at Key West, what are you in? <laughs> You're yeah. in water. Well, look, but, I, but, I'm I'm much more critical of the of the dude that went from Bartow at night. Well, that's Key West. that's where I wanted to go. Agreed. This Agreed. was forty miles north of Key West on a Saturday night. Okay, yeah. in a Skyhawk. Um, dude, uh, get a life. I don't know, but um, uh, there's, there's no there's no reason to be there. Wait a minute. I need a little yeah. bit more detail. What happened here? This was the other. This was the other uh, uh, ditching. Right, but, but you okay. have to Tell me and the listeners what happened here. He, okay. he left a family reunion, took off from Bartow, which is up by Lakeland. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and up then on did Florida basically proper. a direct yeah. to Key West, which means he leaves the Florida coastline somewhere around Venice. No, closer to Naples. But in okay, any case, table. it doesn't matter. He still ends up out in the middle of the Florida Straits having engine problems and has to ditch the airplane, which is a 172, which does flip over. Uh-huh. He's very, very lucky. You know, blew the windscreen out, and he, he swam out the front of the airplane. But he's lucky that he was conscious to do it. Mm-hmm. and. Go. He his what was his his quote about how dark it was and how quiet it was? <laughs> well, that pretty much says I, it right I, there. Whatever. Yeah, I, I haven't and, found and he that story. The landing I, light on when he was down to about fifty feet. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why you do that. <laughs> Ain't nothing good you're gonna see. Fl- <laughs> you don't like yeah, what really. you see, you turn it off again. That's right. Yeah. 
the flip side of this is go, going to Key West is is real easy in, in doing it at altitude and staying within gliding distance land is real easy and you're still over water. Oh yeah, yeah. exactly. And this there, kid this kid had his dad watching him on flight aware. He was talking to people, you know, people were there who activated the system for him right away and it was still four hours before he was found. Right. And not right. only that, but is the way he describes it, the vessel a 45-foot NOAA vessel that was out there doing oil research, okay, uh-huh. on, the, on the oil spill, went past him, missed him with the light, and oh, they wow. heard him screaming and turned around and came back for him. No, no, no wow. flares, no... Nothing. He said when he laid on his back to float... It was disconcerting because the little fish or something was coming up and nibbling on his chin where it was bleeding. So he didn't like doing that, so he treaded water. For four hours, he treaded yeah. water. He, treaded he happened water. to be a very good swimmer. Yeah. Actually, he happened, he happened to be an ex-combat pilot. And so. very ex-combat lucky. pilot. Well, oh. Okay. oh, well, there. that's okay. He's a fighter pilot? Yeah. Formerly. Which which brings me, us back to the original <laughs> question. Whiskey Tangle, Foxtrot, you thinking? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> brings us full circle, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. He'll wear the PFD the next time. It's really okay. Trust me on this. You think? Yeah, I think he probably Oh, will. no. I know. Yeah. Probably okay. will. All right. All right. Well, that's our two ditchings here. Let's see now. What else? We're right. We are reaching the end of our allotted time already. All right. But let's see if we can squeeze a few more of these here. Uh, stupid pilot trick of the week. Uh, we've got it. Wow, we haven't talked about that already? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. True. Stupid pilot trick of the week number two. This is where we say, and which one do you think wins? Yeah, really. Actually, number three. So this is... Uh, um, you know, in this day and age, to not realize that there's a presidential TFR in your area, especially if you're like a professional pilot, apparently. This is up in Seattle. And uh, two F- That's F-15. That's really baffling. Two oh, F-15 come on. Now, I would just get giddy about hearing those sonic booms. Yeah, I know. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Um, so uh, fighter jets were scrambled uh, when an airplane flew into the restricted airspace near where the president was. Uh, uh, not even I don't even know where the president was. Uh, this was the president. Air Force One was parked in Seattle, and as a result, there was a TFR. Um, and, uh, and so, and apparently I'm trying to read it in this story here. It was a pretty, it was like a tour plane, right? It was like a float plane that does yeah. rides or something like that. And, uh, the story I'm reading here, I'm reading a story from, uh, Yahoo news. Um, but I saw another story that talked about the type of airplane. I'm not seeing it in this one. Anyways, this is the tour plane and I understood it to be a seaplane. Yeah. So, uh. Um, this, this plane, I was going to say this guy, I don't know who the, whether the pilot was a, a guy or a woman, but, uh, this plane busted the TFR. Um, they scrambled a couple of, uh, F-15s, which were from in, Oregon. Yeah. Which were in such a rush to get there that they reportedly broke the sound barrier to get there, which is kind of interesting in and of itself. Um, and, uh, but by the time they got there, this is like, you know, there's a whole sub thing here. There's a sidebar to this story, which is, mm-hmm. all right, um, you know, story could be phrased a different way. You know, small plane, you know, invades Seattle, two, F, two F-15s can't get there in time. 
um, there's a kind of a mismatch here. It's like, what? Um, so they didn't get there in time. By the time they arrived on scene, the, the float plane or whatever, the, uh, this airplane had departed the restricted area. Um, and according to the story here, the suspect plane departed the restricted area and was not intercepted by the flighters. Um, this is, again, a quote. Uh, yeah, that's because he landed and was intercepted by agents of the FBI. So Yeah, yeah he said they were they still interviewed. Move. They yeah. do not move at Mach 1. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, I you know, I mean, we've got a TFR. I don't know if it's still in effect, but this is the uh, you know, God bless him. I, I support. I I voted for President Obama, but this the annual Martha's Vineyard TFR is starting to get me a little a little itchy, um, and uh, it's it either either is in effect or will be or was in effect up here. Tell you again. what. Tell you what you do, Jack. Yeah. Pack up. Pack up all your stuff. Yeah. You moved to DC. Yeah. Okay. I know where. Yeah. Okay. Good that, point. Then you can there's, just there's a live round with it. Clock. That's right. You have a round the clock TFR. Yeah, I know. Live, and live with that. Yeah, I know. No, I know. I, uh, so, anyways, but, I, but in this day and age, that this guy didn't realize that there was a TFR or didn't realize where it was or just managed to get into it is just you know. I mean, AOPA sends me a little email every time there's going to be a TFR in my neighborhood. And uh, how do you not know? It, it FAA sends me one. AOPA sends me yeah. one. Uh, pops up on my on my three ninety six when there's when there's one nearby. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, uh, my anywhere map shows it. It's right. uh, it, it's it's harder to miss than it is. I mean, it's harder to. to I, man, yeah. I just don't. Never, that. Never mind. <laughs> it's okay, Thank Higdon. Thank, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. All Thank right. You, don't baby. don't get boozled here. Here's a. <laughs> <laughs> here's a <laughs> very good. Here is a, here's a good story. Here's a feel good aviation story. I like it. Raleigh Durham International Airport. Um, Let's see. I probably should have read this story before talking about it. I read it a couple of days ago. No, I read it a couple. <laughs> it's never stopped you in the past. I read it a couple of days ago. All right. Uh, the upshot here is that the folks running this airport are really, like really in. They've they've built some observation areas and some parks where people can go and watch the airplanes. Uh, and uh, they're not like you know putting up walls at the edge of the airplane airport. They're inviting people in to be part of the experience. And I just let's hear it. Yay, Ra, RDU. Absolutely. Yay, Ra, RDU. I think it's terrific. I think uh, it looks, they look comfortable too. That's the other thing. Yeah. I think, I think everybody in the area uh, should fly on over there and buy some gas and support this airport uh, Mm -hmm. because, uh, because they did just, they did the same thing at Peachtree to Cab in Atlanta uh, two or three years ago. Uh, Reworked a whole area, put in an aviation themed playground, observation area. You know, you can come in there and have your burger. At lunch and let the kids play on the playground and watch the uh, kerosene burners come and go, and then go down to Buckhead and have a beer. Yeah, this is this is a this is a good thing, very good thing, very good thing, and we're starting to see it more and more around the country. Uh, you know, no metal detectors or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. No, no, no. You don't hear the the sound of a rubber glove glove being snapped. <laughs> See, now I'm trying to make this a feel-good, nice family story, and you got to go there. Uh, well, it is a feel-good, nice family story, actually, because you don't, get, you don't get new people involved in aviation unless you let them come to the fence and look through and see what's going on. There you go. Unle- unless they like the sound of rubber gloves being snapped. 
<laughs> in which case, we have a another club that they may want to consider. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, David, uh, this is not on the list. This is not on the list, David, but you made me think of it just a moment ago. Um, you made reference, you told the story maybe last week or in a recent episode about uh, the uh, uh, Mid-Continent Tower being restored and it being... Um, you, I ah. think you described it as being one of the few, if not the only, Art Deco tower in existence. All right, um, I got a message by way of Twitter from uh, a, a listener and a, and a forums poster, uh, Toronado, who writes. Let's see if I can put this all together because he had to split it into like four different tweets. Um, to he says in episode two hundred two, Dave talked about ICT having one of the few, if not only, Art Deco towers in existence. I'm pleased to say that there is another one at Hobby Airport. K. Uh, hotel Oscar uniform, um, and it's part of the uh, 1940s uh, museum, apparently, down there. Um, he says, we do not have the tower open to the public, but we do have plans to do so in the future. Um, oh, very cool. So, yeah, well, ours is, this is the old Wichita Municipal Airport Tower. Ah, uh, okay. It's in the original terminal, gotcha. which was built back in the, you know, back in the Art Deco period. And uh, the the original tower cab's been restored and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, it apparently, same uh, kind of thing down at Hub- at Hobby. So uh, that's very cool. Yeah, very. It's cool. very cool. Addison used to have one like that too. And hmm. uh, in Dallas, uh, the old <clears throat> DCA used to have one like that. Tower. Yeah. All right, let's see. What else have we got on the list? We've been jumping all over the list here. Uh, I'm going to leave these. Uh, we have a, a trio of off-field landings of the week here, um, a, a, as if the ditchings don't count. So uh, we're going to leave this trio of off-field landings till next week, and uh, um, unless one of them came from oh, We're, we're going to do this again? Yeah. <laughs> you mean we got to come back next week? Tom said oh. we got to make it to 400, so yeah. we got to keep going, all right? Uh, Anyways, so I guess we'll leave those off. Uh, anything else going on in aviation here? We actually have reached the end of our allotted time. We don't need to stretch here. But uh, Anything else oh, going on in aviation? Uh, there's wow. so much going on. Uh, you guys. Shout Sirius outs. Report, Sirius reported this week that they had a better year. than they're, uh, they're having a better year or had a better fiscal year. Um, than the previous one. <laughs> well, yes. Not by a whole lot. But That's they faint praise. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. It's it's better than the alternative. No, we are we are hearing rumblings, I guess, um, from various uh, uh, aviation or general aviation businesses that are saying things are kind of starting to to. to I'm, move, I'm afraid it's short lived, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't. I, 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 I don't want to get into a whine about it. So I actually read a really interesting story in Time magazine. I I got that by the way. Um, <laughs> I do listen, to you guys. I, I am literally sitting on my hands. <laughs> Amy, what were you saying? Um, about why they're opening airspace in China. It's a very, very interesting story about how there's there are already general aviation aircraft in China and mm-hmm. business aircraft mm-hmm. in China. Yep. And the, one of the reasons they're talking about opening the airspace is they fly anyway. Right. I saw yeah. that story. There was some story yeah. about, yeah, people flying outside of the airspace or in space they're not supposed to fly in or whatnot. Under the, well, basically, the fine for not filing flight plan is about one-tenth of what it costs to actually legitimately file a flight plan. <laughs> Need I say more? I get it. Yeah, okay. I got it. Well, that's interesting. 
Shout outs. Uh, Anybody any shout outs here? We are. You you guys you guys jumped the gun on the only shout out we've got on the list here. But uh, oh, will, that's my fault. Just shoot me. I will return to the fact that, uh, <laughs> that let's see now, August 19th, I, that's today, right? Yeah, today. Yes. August 19th yeah. is uh, National Aviation Day. Apparently, this is a real holiday. It was established by uh, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, back in 1939. See, um, I didn't make it up. Who issued a presidential proclamation? I'm reading from uh, Wikipedia here. Um, who issued a presidential proclamation which designated the anniversary of Orville Wright, so I had it Wilbur, Orville Wright's birthday to be National Aviation Day. Um, oh, I see why. It's because it's because uh, um, he was still alive. He was still alive at the yeah. time. Or something. Anyway, so... Uh, uh, and it so gave happy, him something to do between 4th of July and Labor Day. I know, yeah. Happy birthday, Orville. <laughs> All right, and... Uh, no, between and, Oshkosh and Labor Day. Yeah, well, we didn't too. have Oshkosh then, but whatever. <laughs> So, yay. Taking all the fun out of this, Amy. Yay, National Aviation Day. Anybody got any other shout-outs? Uh, I got uh, one. Vel- Velma Wallace. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, David. Here in, here in, here in Wichita, who's uh, being awarded uh, uh, a, uh, a new prize by the Wichita Aero Club in recognition of her lifelong. And Velma is a wonderful, very elderly lady. Uh, married to Dwayne Wallace, who was a relative of Clyde Cessna's. And Dwayne Wallace was the guy who actually got what is today's Cessna aircraft viable and profitable and marching on with its juggernaut marketing and, and, and airplane design. And Velma is still alive and uh, uh, still uh, an influence in the community. And just want to say, I'm. I'm Pretty sure somebody will have to tell her, but you know, congratulations! Uh, you deserve more. Excellent, excellent, Jeb. You were going to say something? Yes, just uh, to um, excuse me a second. Um, yeah, just to an old uh, friend of the podcast, uh, a friend of, of most of ours, I, I would guess, Mike Bush, uh, co-founder at Avweb, uh, current uh, or founder of uh, the Savvy uh, Aviator uh, Maintenance and, and Seminar Series. Uh, today's his birthday. Oh, well, happy birthday, Mike. Yes. Yeah. Still Very, didn't look 39. That explains, <laughs> though, now, that explains why his name popped up in my Skype today. I was wondering why exactly, that was. And, exactly, exactly right. Yes. That, that's, how I, that's how I remembered it. Yeah. So, very good. Happy birthday, Mike. Excellent. Uh, any others? Amy, any shout-outs? Uh, no, I think I shouted. Yeah, you did. You did. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, so it's an embarrassment of riches here. Um, usually, I don't even come up with show titles until I actually listen in post production. Um, here we are. I already have four possibles. Let's see. We have never boozled. Uh, we have Kobayashi Maru. We have fudge, and we have overwater cherry, which actually could be my favorite. <laughs> How about uh, packing fudge on the Kobayashi Maru, but never boozled in the process? Yeah, <laughs> with a cherry on top. <laughs> hey, Amy, it's always a blast when you can join us. We're hoping you'll be able to do it more and more often as time goes on. Uh, Amy Lavota is a, a freelance aviation writer and the editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women magazine. Amy, where can people find you on the Internet? You can find me at www.wai.org or afwdigital.org, depending on what you're looking for. Very cool. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? They can just Google me. Just just ignore that stuff about the goats. They're lying. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> yeah, but the, the stories about the lamb are true. <laughs> they 
Yeah, right, David. Our Jeb, where can they find you on the internet? <laughs> oh, you're going to make me do it, huh? No, I'm just figuring to give you a chance, you know. Oh, well. Um, uh, I, yeah, okay. www.net, not .com, .net. All right, that's it. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer and an aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Where can people find you on the Internet, David? You know, that's a really good question right at the moment. How about avbuyer.com, davehigdon.biz, aea.net, aviation safety something or other, or uncontrolledairspace.com. There you go. And I'm Jack Hot. Jeb, one last chance. Where can people find you? jeburnside.com, aviation safety magazine.com, aea.net, occasionally on avweb. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks. And you may even be able to find him in a net. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl and to the many others who have created the awesome uh, disclaimer clips that we play during each episode. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much, just $10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, you can view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolled. Wait, 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 wait. No, the new ratings. Okay, never mind. All of that is at I thought un- you were bamboozling me with something. I wasn't sure. Uncontrolledairspace.com. David, were you going to say something? What is this podcast rated? Oh, uh, you want to live long, go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. And that was PG-13. It's, it's like something on Cinemax. It's just not rated. Oh, that's enough T- talking. Let's go flying. TTF. <laughs> yeah, okay.